Mississippi. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, and you're listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. And I'm Dr. Alan Harris. Dr. Rick and I have a special guest, ophthalmologist Dr. Kimberly Crowder, sitting in with us today to answer your questions on eye health and eye problems. Eyes, yes. So if you want to take part in the show, get your questions ready or give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING or 1-877-672-7464. Or send us an email. Our email address is southernremedy at mpbonline.org. Our phone lines are open now, so call us at 1-877-MPB-RING. We'll be right back after the news. MPB Think Radio podcast. MPBonline.org. MPB Think Radio. Yeah, I just have something to say about diabetes. Hello, we're back. You're listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. We're sitting around here chatting as you may have heard, with our ophthalmologist special guest, Dr. Kimberly Crowder. Good morning. Good to have you back with us. We were just Thank talk- you. We were just talking about all the different kinds of eye issues that are everyday practice for Dr. Crowder, and I'm here with my colleague, Dr. Harris, Dr. Alan Harris, and, and this discussion was pretty much we settled on, what, three were the most common problems that we see in Mississippi on a regular basis? There's definitely three big things that need to be screened for in patients in Mississippi. Um, One is diabetic retinopathy. Since diabetes is such a widespread disease in this state, everybody who has diabetes needs to have a dilated eye exam at least once a year. Yeah, that's uh, not always happening, is it? It is not, unfortunately. And so your ophthalmologist or your optometrist can do dilated eye exams, right? They can. You just need to make sure that whatever eye care professional you are seeing um, does put the dilating drops in and does look at the retina after the eyes have been dilated and not just checks for glasses and does other screening things. One of the problems I've had, because seeing patients in an internal medicine clinic, that's what our job to make sure our diabetic patients are going to get screened, but it's hard for some of them to, to find, to get in and get an appointment. Um, is so an optimo, an optometrist where you could go to like Walmart or one of these places that has the little eye they, shop with an they optometrist can would be. for screening once they, once, if there's any evidence of diabetic retinopathy, however, then they need to see an ophthalmologist. And um, sometimes the wait can be a few weeks, but usually, you know, it's, it's, it's not any longer than that. And the difference between a lot of people might not know the difference between an ophthalmologist and an optometrist. An ophthalmologist is a, is a doc, a medical doctor in a medical school. An optometrist is. Went to op, four years of optometry school, but then, you know, an ophthalmologist went to four years of medical school, then a minimum of four years of residency training. Um, largely, um, that training is um, surgical based so that ophthalmologists also perform um, surgery on eyes as well as diagnose and treat eye diseases. So you're listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Today's special topic is eye issues. And we're taking your call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 
If you have any questions on eye health, preventive disease, uh, pre- prevent prevention of disease, or related topics, give us a call or send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. So I think I think I think I heard the first suggestion you made is uh, if you have diabetes, you need to have your your actually your eyes dilated and somebody look at the back of your eye, uh, which you can't see correct. without dilation. So That's what are correct. they looking at when they look back there? You're looking at what is called the retina, which is the nerve tissue which lines the back of the eye. Um, it also is very vascular, which is the reason that diabetes affects this particular area of the eye since diabetes damages blood vessels all over your body. One area that diabetes damages um, is the retina vessels. Right. So we're at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We have open lines. Don't wait till the end of the program to give us a call if you have a question because takes a little bit longer to get in. Give us a call now. So let's talk a little bit about the anatomy of the eye. When you look at yourself in the mirror, you see this black little thing in the middle, and then you see this ring around it that looks sort of like Saturn's rings, and then you see this white part of your eye. So what is what there? The black circle in the very middle is called your pupil, and it is a hole. It, you know, it is not a anatomical piece itself, but it is a hole in what's called the iris. The it is iris a black is, hole? It is a black hole. The iris is the colored part of the eye, so in you it is blue, and some people it is brown, um, but it is the color part that you see. And then moving further out, the white part is called the sclera, and it is basically the shell of the eye. On top of the sclera is a thin-skinned, which is normally clear, called the conjunctiva. And usually the conjunctiva is, like I said, clear, but if you have any kind of allergy problem or have an eye infection, then it becomes injected and looks red. Okay, so that's a very helpful lesson, and we'll repeat that again as you give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring or one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So that's what you can see, but there's stuff behind there you can't see. You've already mentioned the Correct. retina that sits way back in the back. Way back. And, and, and that's sort of, a, sort of like an electric panel that you have in the back of your house. It's connected up to a big wire coming correct. in, right? And the, the, the big wire that all the nerve tissue comes to form is the optic nerve. And the optic nerve is what connects your eyeball to the brain. So it is actually an extension of the brain. That's why this nerve is so important. Um, the optic nerve, one of the diseases of the optic nerve, which people need to be screened for, is a disease called glaucoma. And so that's one of the second um, big eye diseases. Glaucoma is a disease of this nerve. Sometimes people with glaucoma have high eye pressures as well, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes the nerve has glaucoma with a normal eye pressure. So what are the symptoms of glaucoma? That's the bad part is that there are no symptoms of glaucoma that the patient will recognize at the beginning of the disease. The end stage of the disease is blindness. So, of course, the patient would recognize if they are losing vision. But at that point, there's not a whole lot that an ophthalmologist can do for them. So that's why screening is so very important to catch the disease early on. What are the recommendations? We just said if you're diabetic, you need an annual eye exam. What about people that don't have any known health problems? How should they be screened? Um, if they have 
a family history of glaucoma saying mom, dad, brothers, or sisters, then, you know, I recommend they be screened no later than their 40s to make sure they don't have early signs of the disease. Um, We unfortunately see it, you know, sometimes even in people in their 20s and their 30s, but it is a disease of older people for the most part. Um, So this involves not only going to the eye doctor to have their eye pressure checked, but also, once again, that dilated eye exam so that the optic nerve can be studied to make sure that the optic nerve does not look suspicious for someone who's developing glaucoma. So you're listening to our special show on eye problems, ophthalmological issues, with a special guest, Dr. Kimberly Crowder. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo here with Dr. Alan Bond. We're waiting for your call at one 672 And let's go to Waveland. Hey, James. James, are you there? Uh, yeah, um... Howdy. I, I in the past couple of years I've been to uh, ophthalmologists for normal checkups and maybe assuming that my glasses need to be upgraded. And uh, I went to two of them. I went to one in Louisiana and one in Mississippi. The one in Mississippi told me I had macular degeneration. And I went to another one, meh, maybe six months later in Louisiana. And um, he, well, he showed me pictures. He says, I took pictures of your macula, and you don't have macular degeneration because you would have all this bundle of nerves or blood vessels or something like this. I, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell from the pictures, but he told me I didn't have it. But he said it was um, uh, just... What's that stuff that grows over your eye that's a fairly common and they cataract. take it off? <laughs> cataract. Cataracts are the most common cataracts. thing. Yeah, that's what he told me it was. Okay, so we got your question. You've gotten one of your two doctors must need to see an ophthalmologist because they're <laughs> seeing different things, or maybe we got it wrong. Well, um, macular degeneration is a disease of an area of the eye called the macula. The macula is the part of the retina that allows you to have central vision. So, so there's in the retina, which is this piece of tissue at the back of your eye that's that lines plastered. the back of the eye. Plastered like wallpaper there's back there. There's one right? little area that accounts for everything you use your central vision for. Reading, um, watching TV, driving, you're largely using your central vision, not your peripheral vision. So probably so, the most important part of your retina is that macula area. Definitely for, for what you do with most of your life. Now, macular degeneration um, Sometimes it is very clear that patients have it if it's more advanced. In the very early stages of it, though, then it can be just subtle findings on the eye exam. It can be just subtle pigment changes in the macula. It doesn't necessarily have to have the neovascularization or the blood vessel growth at the beginning of the disease. So all those fancy words you're talking about are... Things that you can actually see and quantitate when you look in there with all those telescopes you, you use to look at well, eyes. Well, you can see, and now we have um, very good technology at imaging the layers of the retina to look for subtle changes um, in a different way than just looking with a light. Um, so one test that we use it 
UMC is called an OCT, and we can see early that changes. Is, oh, that's OCD. Sorry, I got to <laughs> A little bit different, but um, we can see early, early subtle changes um, from macular degeneration. Now, there are two kinds of macular degeneration as well. There's a dry kind, which is largely just pigment changes in the macula, and a wet kind, which can involve bleeding in the macula. So, so you don't have to see the bleeding in the macula in order to have macular degeneration. So what do you do about that if you find it? The dry form of macular degeneration, actually both forms, the most important thing is stop smoking. Smoking is a huge risk factor for macular degeneration. So another plug for throw the cigarettes away. Um, Then for the dry form, there are vitamins. For the wet form, there are multiple treatments, including intraocular injections. And we're going to be talking more about macular degeneration and giving our previous caller an answer to his dilemma. Uh, when we come back, we're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. That's one eight seven seven MPB ring, or you can send us an email at southernremedy@mpbonline.org. We'll be right back to take your question after this break. This is Southern Remedy. We're talking about eyes today with Dr. Kimberly Crowder, ophthalmologist at UMC. Uh, so give us a call, one eight seven seven mpb ring And we've got a couple callers lined up. Before we go to the phones, um, let's make sure we wrapped up and answered our last caller's question. So basically, it sounded like he got two different opinions. One person said macular degeneration. One doctor said he didn't. So Anytime in general, if you're getting two different opinions, you probably need a third opinion to try to sort it out. And the we, ultimate opinion could come from a retina specialist as well. So that <laughs> sounds it. like who he needs to see now, exactly. like you're talking about. So we're not sure what kind of imaging they did. They might not have been able to look at all nine layers of the retina, like like we said that we have some technology now that can do that. Right. So so that's probably where you need to go to a retina specialist because you could have early macular degeneration that would need treatment. What about that Occuvite stuff they advertise over the TV ad nauseum. In fact, my wife brought some home and said, you need to take this. I said, I just saw my ophthalmologist and she didn't say I had this. Well, so Occuvite is one brand, ICAPS, Preservision. There's lots of them out there. They um, say ARIDS on them, A-R-E-D-S, which stands for Age-Related Eye Disease Study. And this was the study, large study done for macular degeneration. For the dry form of macular degeneration, this is the only treatment we have besides the smoking cessation that you can do right now. So if you have dry macular degeneration, um, it's usually recommended with approval from your primary doctor that you take these vitamins. Now they are sold over the counter, but you know, they do have risks with them since there are such high doses of the vitamins in them. It is not your regular Centrum Silver. It is huge doses of vitamin C, E, and D, as well as zinc and copper. Um, so you need approval from your primary caretaker that these things are not going to interfere with any of your other health problems or medications that you're on. That's a good point because zinc can be a real issue, especially in Vitamin D is less so, but zinc is the issue. Let's go 
to Macomb. Hey, Karen. Yes. Thanks for your call. I have been um, diagnosed with a bladder spasm. Blepharospasm. If you have any suggestions of anything to help with this, yes, vitamins, ma'am. minerals. I, I, there, I don't know of any um, evidence-based medicine to support vitamin and mineral treatment for blepharospasm. Now, what blepharospasm is, is an uncontrollable muscle spasm of the muscle called the obicularis oculi, which is the muscle in our eyelids. That's the wink muscle, isn't it? It is. And it spasms so bad, and it's usually brought on. My patients describe it to me. It's at its worst when light hits them in the eyes, just like mainly when they're driving, and it will spasm so bad that they cannot open their eyes. Um, there, there are a few treatments for blepharospasm. Um, none of them are, you know, without any risk. But the main treatments are you can take high doses of muscle relaxers. Now, it's usually not the best kind of treatment for this because it usually takes so so many, you know, um, muscle relaxers that you're zonked out before your spasms start, before your, before your spasms are controlled. Um, you can have a surgical procedure to have some of that muscle stripped. This is usually not patient's first choice. Patient, the, the best um, treatment, in my opinion, are Botox injections into the eyelids to control these spasms. So what, what do you do when, uh, so blepharospasm was her problem, and she has this uncontrollable contraction of her eyelid, it's, it's right? Uncontrollable. We all blinking. have that all the time. All of us episodically Sometimes have we, that. Sometimes we have a single muscle which will spasm, and that's when you feel what you call a twitch. Yeah. But that is just a single part of this muscle. The entire muscle in the upper lid and the lower lid is spasming so frequently that it prevents the patient from opening their eyes. Wow. So Botox <laughs> is just a toxin that you inject into the muscle and it paralyzes it, exactly. right? Exactly. It, it temp temporarily paralyzes that muscle to control control the spasms. My patients who I do Botox on, the Botox usually lasts from anywhere from about two to four months, and then they have to come back in for another set of injections. So can they close their eye at all? Oh, yes, okay. yes, they, because that's a different, yeah, it doesn't paralyze it so your eyes just stay open. No, it's, it's, it just paralyzes it to control the spasms. So you have to give them the right dose at the you right place. You have to do the right dose in the right doing, places. That's exactly up, right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. You need somebody who has treated, who has used Botox for treatment for blepharospasm, not just for cosmetic right. Botox. I'm glad that winking is not pathologic. That could get a, disappoint a lot of guys. Uh, you're listening to Southern Remedy. At one eight seven seven six seven two seven four, and as you can hear, we've got an ophthalmologist who has lots of good information. So give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. Let's go to Denham Springs. Hey Jacob. Hey, how are you? Okay, thanks for your call. And Denham Springs is a good place. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have a question for you. Um, I had an eye exam done a couple weeks back, and I'm twenty six. And the doctor asked me if I noticed anything floating in my eyes, and I asked him what did that mean. He said that there's sometimes you'll see a black dot with ziggly lines. They call them floaters. And he said he sees them in my eyes, but I don't see anything out of the ordinary. Maybe I'm just not paying enough attention. I don't know. Is this something I should be worried about? 
It is not something you should be worried about. Floaters are the, you are seeing the jelly substance in your eye is called the vitreous. In Instead of the back of the eye being filled with water, it's filled with more of a jelly consistency. And so sometimes you can see the edges of the jelly stuff, and those are called floaters. Um, most people do have floaters, but thankfully our brain learns to ignore them, and so therefore they're not bothersome. The only time that floaters are pathologic is if you see a big shower of new floaters that you've never seen before all at once, or if you have floaters associated with sustained flashes of light, or you're seeing a dark curtain across your vision. Those are the only time that it is a sign that something is wrong. Most people see a couple of three, four floaters in their vision, especially if they look at a white wall or a bright background, then they can find one of the little black spots. But if you don't see them, that just means that your brain has adapted well at ignoring them. So what keeps your eye round on the front? Rather than being sucked in is this goo that's back there, right? This jelly. The anterior part of the eye is filled with a watery substance. Everything in front of the lens of the eye is water. Everything behind the lens is a more of a jelly substance, which we call vitreous. So what holds the lens? You said the pupil is a hole. Right behind the the pupil is the lens. lens. What holds the lens in place? These fine, fine, fine little hair-like structures. What do you call them? Hairy structures? Hairy structures. Okay. Zonules. Zonules. All right. Well, that's a good that's a good grandkid's name. Let's go to Florence. Hey, Jim. Uh, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, my mother had a macular. I got two. I got two questions, and I'll take the answers off the radio. My mother had a macular de- degeneration, the wet kind. Took the shots from Doctor Chen, who was really good to her. And I was wondering if that was hereditary. And the second thing is. But I work at night, and I work some long hours, and when I get off, my eyes, I wear glasses, but I sleep pretty good without them except for a long ways off, you know. But my eyes are kind of, and they get blurry. And I wonder if that's uh, just because I work long hours at night or that. What do you do long hours at night? I'll take the answer off the radio. What kind of work do you do first before you leave us? blurry. I wonder if that's uh, Okay, I I guess working at night could be almost anything, couldn't it? So... The answer to the first question, the three main risk factors for macular degeneration, one I've already covered, is smoking. And that's the one that you can control and you can make sure that you stop smoking. The second two risk factors you cannot control. It's being Caucasian and it is having a family history. So to answer his question, yes, the fact that his mother has had macular degeneration puts him at high risk of developing macular degeneration. So, yes, sir, you need to have regular screening eye exams to make sure you're not developing it. Um, the second answer. Can I ask you a follow up on that? Please. So if, uh, and there may be no data on this, if you have a family history of the dry form of macular degeneration and you tell the difference, I presume between dry and wet by looking at it, uh, should you be taking those expensive vitamins to prevent it? Um, those studies are still pending. We don't know if family members should go ahead and start taking the vitamins or not. We do not have an answer for that. Some of my patients do, but there's not evidence-based medicine right now. Thank you. Um, the second, night question. The nighttime working question. Most of my patients who 
develop blurry vision at the end of their day, or in his case, night, is from whatever they are doing, whatever activity they have to do at work, they end up just staring. So whether they're driving all night or they're looking at a computer all night, like a lot of my nurses do, then um, the the act of just concentrating and staring dries the eyes um, over time. So they develop dry eyes, which causes the blurriness. And then sleep obviously cures that because you close your eyelids and the eyes are relubricated. And I know you have a lot to say about dry eyes and ceiling fans. So if you're having dry eyes, <laughs> you may want to give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. All right, let's go to Craig on the road in Jackson. Craig, you there? Hi there. Hi. I've, I've got uh, Sjogren's as, a, as one condition, so there's already issues with the eyes. But when I'm reading or doing something real fine focus, such as sewing, at about the distance that you'd hold something like that, an area starts to go out of focus and may go out of focus for half an hour this small about the size of, say, two characters in uh, newsprint at that same distance. But, uh, I believe it was a retinologist, a retina, retina specialist, labeled it as an ocular stroke. What is it, and what can I do about it? Okay. So first of all, this this Sjogren's, just to, say, just to let everybody know what that is, that's an autoimmune condition, which means um, that your immune system is attacking a certain thing in your body. And Sjogren's, the way that usually manifests is dry eyes and dry mouth. You won't have a lot of saliva, um, which um, is a separate thing than what you're talking about. So I'll let Dr. Crowder answer your second part of your question. Well, Sjogren's is definitely a big eye problem for um, dry eyes because the patients tend to produce very little in way of tear production. Um, So we need to... um, add tears either by the way of the over-the-counter tears or prescription-wise as far as something like restasis. Um, so like I was saying about the gentleman who works at night and his vision gets blurry, if you stare at something, then you your eyes are going to dry out. If you have Sjogren's, it's going to happen much, much, much more quickly. Um, and so, you know, we have to find a regimen of lubrication that works for you and your job. What, um, a, what about an ocular stroke? What is An ocular stroke is not related to Sjogren's in itself. Most people who have had a stroke of the eye, if that word has been used, then it is, it is a part of the optic nerve that's been affected, either from them having high blood pressure, diabetes, or other vascular risk factors. So one of the things we want to talk about when we come back from the upcoming break, and we have a line open at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. That's one eight seven seven MPB ring. Is this whole issue about alarm factors? Alarm factors. What you should see an ophthalmologist for immediately uh, if it develops. So we'll be right back with that and lots more information from Dr. Kimberly Crowder and Dr. Alan Bond right after this break.
MPB Think Radio podcast. mpbonline.org. MPB Think Radio. We're back and you're listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo here with my co-host, Dr. Alan Harris, and our special guest today, Dr. Kim Crowder, who is an ophthalmologist extraordinaire. As you've been hearing her, she's really helping us get straight on eye problems. Now, we need to go right back to the phones, but would you give us the eye anatomy lesson just one more time? Because I know that's confusing to people. The black hole in the middle is what? It's the pupil. And the ring around it is the? The iris. And both of those structures are covered with what's called the cornea, which is clear in most people unless there's something wrong with it. But the cornea is where the dry eye comes into play. Okay, so that's sort of a glass, sheet glass over the whole deal. the windshield, exactly. And sitting on top of that is this uh, conjunctiva thing, right? Well, the conjunctiva sits on top of the white part of the eye. Okay, only. It sort of stops right there. It stops at the edge of the cornea. So that's the front room. And the back room is this other thing hooked up to this wire right the the back room directly behind the iris the color part is the lens of the eye which develops cataracts as you age or with trauma Um, then there the eye is filled with a vitreous a jelly stuff in the back of the eye then the wall of the back of the eye is lined with the retina the nerve tissue of the retina comes together to form the optic nerve which connects your eyeball to your brain and the most important part of the um, retina is the well, the, the macula is where your central vision is. Okay, so that takes us to Ditmar and Meridian. How are things in Meridian? Oh, it's cloudy like it's over there. Yeah, I know. What's your question? Uh, I wish you addressed macular pucker. I seem to have it and not sure what to do about it. What? Well, it's just for the, uh, just for the heck of it. What did your doctor tell you it was? Uh, I don't think he ever explained it to me. Okay. Uh, from my personal standpoint, I see objects smaller and further away. And so that's why you went idea. in the first place. You were having trouble seeing stuff far away. Okay. So the retina is made of multiple layers, and the outermost layer is a membrane-like structure. And as we age, it can wrinkle, for lack of better terms. And that is generally what's referred to as macular pucker or an epimacular membrane or an epiretinal membrane. And it usually does cause distortion in your vision. Depending on how significant the distortion is will depend on whether or not the retina specialist recommends surgical removal of this membrane. All right. So that's a, that's a serious issue. It can be very visually debilitating. It is not something that causes permanent blindness like some of these other diseases do. Okay, we're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Taking your call. All right, let's go to D in Jackson. Hello. Hi. Um, I don't have a good connection because I have a cell phone, but I was wondering about cataracts, and I can give you my question and hang up and let you. Uh, All right. Answer. What's your question? Um, They say that the cataracts have to ripen before they remove them. And why is that when once they're removed, you never have any eye trouble again? Okay. 
Well, um, I'll answer it from the back forward. Um, Having cataracts removed does not guarantee that you will never have any eye trouble again because there are so many different parts of the eye which can be affected by different diseases. A cataract is the lens of your eye, however. The lens of the eye becomes cloudy. It's a natural aging progression. It um, some people need cataract surgery, you know, as early as their 30s, and then some people, you know, still have, you know, very mild cataracts in their 80s. Um, when the cataract is, quote, ripe, end quote, is when your vision is being affected by the cataract. That is the absolute judgment call on when the cataract is ready for removal. The reason that it's a usually a one-step process is because in order to treat cataracts surgically, we remove the lens of the eye and replace it with an acrylic or a plastic lens. And this plastic lens stays in your eye for the rest of your life. And that's why the cataracts do not, quote, regrow, end quote. So I didn't realize until recently that ophthalmologists were also psychiatrists. Because I have a, <laughs> fa- I have a family member who is seeing her ophthalmologist, and um, she... One day she wants to have this surgery, and the next day she doesn't. <laughs> One day she sees great. The next day she can't see anything. Uh, and, you know, it, it, she thinks it's a big deal. The ophthalmologist seems to think it's routine for her. Uh, sh- she's worried about every complication she can find on the Internet. The ophthalmologist says 99 times of 100 things do well. What do you do with people like my relative who, uh, and I, I think anybody that has eyes is probably going to end up having this discussion if you live long enough because it's, exactly. it's sort of an occupational hazard of having eye, uh, an eye. What do you, what do you, how do you deal with these, with people like me and my relative's anxiety over this? I, I sit down with the patient and, and discuss with them exactly what they're having trouble doing due to their vision. And that way we try to sort out which part of their visual complaints are dry, which is, you know, something very common, which does cause that fluctuation and which are more related to the cataract, like driving at night, having intense glare problems. You know, those are things more related to a cataract, whereas visual fluctuation is usually related more to dry eyes. Um, And your relative is correct. You know, most of the time cataract surgery goes very smoothly. Patients see better you know, as soon as the next day or the next week or so. And, you know, it's a fairly quick recovery time when we're talking, you know, in terms of a surgical procedure. Um, Of course, there are always risks. And, you know, even with the new quote-unquote, laser cataract surgery, you still have to enter the eye. And so, therefore, you know, there's always a risk of bleeding and infection whenever you enter a part of the body. Yeah. Um, it's just like any procedure, right? Any procedure, I mean, you want right. to, there's, there's always risk. There's it's always risk versus risk. benefit. How much is this troubling you? Are you willing to take exactly. the risk? Exactly. Yeah. So, All right. So let's go to Mary and Brandon. Oh, uh, Braxton. Mary, you there? Oh, there we go. Mary, hey. Uh, your uh, program every morning, uh, every week. Uh, I'm wondering about uh, uh, the, uh, different, the relationship between um, dry macular degeneration and wet macular degeneration. I have the dry uh, just starting, and my sister has had uh, wet macular degeneration and has been blind, legally blind for probably close to 20 years. Now, do I have to worry about the uh, wet macular degeneration? 
Unfortunately, you do because you have already been diagnosed with the dry form, and the biggest risk factor for developing the wet form is having the dry form. Now, thankfully, not everybody who has dry macular degeneration develops wet macular degeneration. So the wet's worse? Well, the wet is more um, acutely visually debilitating, but you can... You know, the dry kind produces legal blindness as well. Now, the good news for you is that if your sister has been legally blind for 20 years from the wet form, she developed it when there were not the treatments that we have today. Today, we have treatments for the wet macular degeneration, which not only halt the process, but restore vision. Wow. Yeah, and so this is using intraocular injections. You get a shot in the eye, which sounds terrible, but patients say it's really, they were much more scared about it than the actual pain that occurred from it, that um, uses what's called anti-VEGF, and so it reverses the neovascularization or the the blood vessel formation that um, is occurring due to the wet form. Neovascularization, that's a fancy word for your growing new blood vessels, right? You're growing new blood vessels where you're not supposed to have blood vessels and these blood vessels are friable and bleed. And that's why it's wet. That's why it's wet. So it's a neo new blood vessels versus in the dry form. It's pigmentary changes in atrophy, uh-huh. as well as the formation of what we call drusens, which are um, like proteinaceous deposits underneath the retina. See, I didn't know that. Uh, thank you for that. I didn't didn't realize that dry was a risk factor for wet it is so that's very important so to that's, that's why even dry patients you know need to have regular eye exams to look for early conversion to the wet all right let's go to Vic, uh vicky and ripley hi vicky hello hi hi um i have recently been diagnosed well i've had cataracts for years and my optometrist tells me they're ready to come off now and i'm 59 years old However, I don't have any health insurance, and I can't afford the surgery. Will it harm me in any way if I wait till I'm 65 and on Medicare to get the cataract surgery? And I'll just hang up and listen to the answer on the radio. Thank So, So what we were saying earlier, cataract surgery is taking the lens out and putting a new one in. So it shouldn't, waiting Correct. shouldn't hurt you. Well, to a point. Um, so cataract, since it is the lens, it, it is not like glaucoma or macular degeneration that untreated will cause permanent blindness. Um, however, you know, if you let the cataracts um, become bad enough, for lack of better terms, um, A, you know, the patient does lose vision. And, you know, many of my patients, you know, I say, you know, you because of these cataracts, you do not have legal driving vision. And so we need to do something if you want to continue driving from a public health standpoint. Um, the other thing is that the quote unquote harder the cataract gets, it does make our surgery a little bit more challenging. And so the complication rate does go up with the more mature cataracts. So if you're putting off cataract surgery, you need to have a dialogue with your doctor because there's a break point at which it's not safe for you not to have surgery. It's right? not always a clear break point, but you know, the you know, I, I, it requires an examination to determine, you know, just how bad these cataracts look. The other thing is, is that there are ophthalmologists uh, in the state, and I know at UMC we have a program uh, to help people that have financial issues. There are. There's, UMC has a financial assistance program, which um, you apply for, and I think they go through all your W-2s. I don't have anything to do with this part, but, you know, if you qualify for it, then, um, yeah, the the hospital covers a, a large portion of the um 
price of the surgery. And I know some private ophthalmologists have other programs they with sort of like bank card loans and stuff like that. And most of them have payment plans if you know um, to to help people who don't have insurance up front. Right. You're listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio, and today's program is on eyes. We're going to be take a little break here in a minute, but before we do that, I want to mention this app, uh, which is totally off the subject, that I found very, very useful for weight control. And since we're focusing on things like diabetes that give you eye disease, I want to recommend you check this out. Everybody that I've talked to who's using this is losing weight. So the app's called My Fitness Pal, and it's a free app. Um, you just download on your phone, or maybe ninety nine cents. But basically, you put your height and weight in, and it gives you a calorie limit, and then you can put your foods in that you eat, and it'll it'll just keep track of your your calories for you and let you know where you are on your meeting your your daily goal. Right, of calories. And, and you can actually check how much a restaurant meal is going to yeah. cost you calorie wise right yeah. there in the restaurant. So, right. what's the name of it again? My Fitness Pal. Do you just go dot com or what do you do? Um, you go to the app store on your phone uh-huh. and search for it, and then it'll let you download it. It's either a dollar or it's free. I can't remember. We'll be right back. an mpb think radio podcast mpbonline.org mpb think radio radio welcome back to southern remedy it's i day on our show and we have a very special guest dr kimberly crowdy crowder who is joining dr alan harris and little me uh, for this, and we are just learning all kinds of things about eyes today. Let's go to Cassie in Covington. Hey, Cassie, are you with us? Hey, I'm here. Thank you for your call. What's on your mind? Well, it's sort of a different question, and you may have covered it, but I have just now turned on my radio. Um, the skin that's between your eyebrow and your eyelid, as you get older, it has a tendency to sag some. And I wanted to know, is there a danger in that or something? Is there a home remedy you can do to help that? Or Yeah, that's what I call going south, and it happens to guys, not just to, to women. <laughs> Everything goes south as you get older. Your eyelids, your stomach, everything hangs down, and uh, I guess that's part of the whole deal, right? So sometimes the sagginess of your upper eyelid is is – just a cosmetic issue which there is no danger in that and yeah i mean there are all kinds of you know creams and cosmetic products which state that they can help this um and help, in my help opinion, the with, purses with, of the people with very little yeah. you know results um the danger comes when the eyelids sag so bad that it is blocking your superior visual field. So it's you can't see um, superiorly like you used to because this tissue is sagging so bad that it's blocking part of your vision. And so when that happens, it's a medical reason to have this repaired. And medical reasons mean that um, insurance will cover repair of this if the lid is sagging um, far enough. All right. Um, so let's go to Carol in Tennessee. Hey, Carol. Hey. What's going on? Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, yeah. We, you have okay. to yell yell real loud from question. Tennessee. Yep. Uh, my husband is diabetic, and on his last eye exam, 
the doctor said that he had the beginnings of glaucoma, and I was wondering if there's something in particular that we can do to prevent the progression of this disease. You cannot um, always prevent glaucoma. If he has the beginnings, that means he needs to have frequent eye exams, as I'm sure the doctor scheduled some follow-up. There are lots of tests that can be done to try to determine if this is definitely glaucoma, if it's early stage, moderate stage, late stage, and therefore what you know the target treatment needs to be. Now, since he's diabetic, the best thing he can do for his eyes is control his sugars because, you know, yes, glaucoma is a disease that makes you go blind, but diabetes is definitely a disease that people have some control of that they can go blind. But no, the glaucoma, there's no, um, you know, um, definitive um, cure. cure. But there are good treatments. And there are good treatments. You just need regular follow-up with your doctor. Yeah, so let's try to get this straight because this is the first good, uh, first glaucoma call we've gotten so far. Uh, glaucoma is, it was traditionally thought to be a, uh, a disease of drainage in the eye where your pressure went up because the fluid didn't get in and out of it, right? Correct. And sometimes that is still the case with some forms of glaucoma. However, and the big problem with it is, is that it can be totally asymptomatic, right? The primary open angle glaucoma is a disease of the optic nerve itself. And one of the risk factors for it is having a high pressure, but you can have what can, was in the past considered normal eye pressures and still have glaucoma. So the thing that I've learned from you, I learned a lot from you today, but the thing I've learned that sort of hit me in the face is that when you have your an, annual eye exam, especially if you're an at-risk person, you have diabetes or history of macular degeneration in your family or, or you're having visual issues, the ophthalmologist or the optometrist needs to, to dilate your eyes. Definitely. And actually look once they're dilated, at your optic nerve. And your macula and your retina and everything else that is back there. And you cannot do an adequate um, exam without dilation. All right. So that's a that's a good learning thing. All right. Let's go to Michael in Pascagoula. Hey, Michael. Hi. I was uh, calling because I was recently diagnosed with a Fuchs corneal um, disease. Uh, I was told it was inherited and was wondering if there are any medicines that make it worse or better. Same for supplements. So let's explain what this is. The cornea, like we said, is the windshield of the eye. When you have dry eyes, it's a problem with the front surface or the epithelial surface of the cornea. The cornea under the epithelium has a stroma, and then the inner layer of the cornea is called the endothelium. In Fuchs corneal dystrophy, you lose those endothelial cells at a faster rate than aging normally causes. Endothelial cells, unlike the outside layer, the epithelium, endothelial cells cannot regenerate. So you're born with what you have. You do lose some as you age. You lose them at a much faster rate if you have Fuchs um, cornea dystrophy. The problem with losing these endothelial cells is that they are responsible for keeping the cornea clear by pumping out the water in the cornea. Um, what you can do, and your doctor probably recommended, it's 
it's over the counter, but they're called Muro, M-U-R-O, um, ophthalmic drops, and there's a Muro ophthalmic ointment. It is a hypertonic um, solution, which means that it can help dry out some of the fluid from the front part, from you putting it on the front part of your eye to help, um, you know, decrease the need for the endothelial cells. Eventually, though, most people need what's called an endothelial cell transplant, which there is such thing now. Um, One of our doctors at UMC, Dr. Wong, performs these very often um, where you transplant from a donor the endothelial cell layer in patients. Wow. So the cornea has three layers. Correct. Just like the retina has multiple multiple (laughs) layers. So anything can go wrong that's in there. Mm. Okay, but there's great new treatments. So let's go to Annetta in Madison. Hey, Annetta. Hey, I have macular degeneration. I'm under close watch by my uh, retina specialist. I'm on his short list, he said, of people that he's watching very closely. And um, I'm supposed to look at this Amsler grid every day. but And I don't really see changes there. But when I go to um, to bed at night or if I go into a room that has different light levels, I see blobs of black. Like I, last night when I closed my eyes, I was seeing blobs of black that were approximately um, an inch or over. Okay, we, we got that. We'll, we'll address that, and thank you for that call. Well, things that you see with your eyes closed are okay. Those are those little retina cells are still firing even though you close your eyes. Um, the main question and why he wants you looking at the Amsler grid is watching for changes between exams. It's a way that, he, you know, he can mon- he or she can monitor more or less without actually looking every day. Um, so that's the main thing is has this been a change what you're seeing since the last time you saw your retina specialist? And if this has been an acute change, even if it's not on the Amsler grid, if something is different about your vision, then that's an indication to be seen. Okay, so we've covered a lot of territory today. If you didn't get your question answered, send us an uh, email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. We want to thank our special guest, Dr. Kimberly Crowther. Thank you. Who is an ophthalmologist at UMC and obviously extremely well-spoken and informed on the topics. And so next week, Uh, Dr. Harris and I will be here. We're looking forward to another exciting show. We think it's going to be on aging, but we're not sure. So stay tuned for next week, but we're looking for a lot of your calls. Thanks for listening to Southern Remedy. Our executive producer is Jenny Wilburn. And Southern Remedy is sponsored by an unrestricted grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Like us on Facebook. We'd like to be liked. And we'll see you again next week.